in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Isaiah says, look, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. Past events won't be remembered. They won't come to mind. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad about my people. No one will ever hear the sound of weeping or crying in it again. Friends, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is written in three distinct stages of Israel's life. The first several dozens of chapters are written to a people who are about ready to go into exile. Then the middle section of Isaiah is written to people who are in exile, and now the end section, including these verses today, are written to people who've just returned from a few generations of living away from home, and now they have to rebuild and restore what is lost. Revelation 21 picks up on these themes, these themes of hope and a new heaven and a new earth. Hear these words again to people who are trying to piece their life back together. Look, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. Past events won't be remembered. They won't come to mind. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad about my people. No one will ever hear the sound of weeping or crying in it again. Today, friends, we proclaim the good news along with Isaiah that God's presence, God with us, brings new creation out of past suffering. God is at work in our relationships, our vocation, and in our primal, the primal antagonisms of our world to bring lasting joy to us by His Spirit. I got this correspondence with a friend of mine. I'm going to read it to you. His name's Brian. We don't know each other well, but after he sent me this, I feel like we have a lot in common. I apologize for the uh, almost licentious Uh, use of big words that we uh, none of us understand, but that's Brian. Maybe that's why I like him. He says this, we are made for joy and love and creativity. We are embodied because the care of the soul requires human touch and beauty. Music and vision in order to thrive. Yet we live in a broken wounded world. Everything good and necessary is so easily corrupted, abused, lost, and wasted. We often bear our torment within ourselves, carrying it wherever we go. I myself frequently sorrow over existence. I am no good at life. I was born two months premature in an era where survival was by no means certain. My parents and grandparents prayed ardently that the tiny baby might live, and evidently he did, or he would not be writing to you now. To what end, though? Life is often a burden and a disappointment. I have a gift of language and a poet's sensitivity. I have devoted decades of my life pursuing wisdom, but most days the weather of my soul is a perpetual Scotland. 
It is a kind of betrayal of the heartfelt love gifted to me by my family who hoped and prayed so passionately that I might live and have the opportunity to experience this life. And surely they knew or know that I am different and stubborn and weirdly sensitive, a canary in the mine, singing Vedic songs and complaining of being misunderstood. He may be my soulmate. <laughs> he continues. Some people think the Christian teaching on the fall is a gloomy, pessimistic doctrine. They could not be more wrong. Assume for a moment that this is not a broken world, that, uh, that this world is, as Hegel noted, a slaughterboard, an empty, ad adventitious chronicle without providential care, without resources beyond the limits of a shrewd animal. Indeed, this is the world that most people think we inhabit. As one person sketches it, quote, the stone is made the explanation of the cathedral. Biology and psychology are nothing but physics in disguise. The intricate order of the universe manifest, manifests is caused by random mutations and the survival of the fittest. The highest levels of education largely exist to inculcate just such a view of reality. We have ordered our notions of wealth and leisure, labor and entertainment, social relations and value upon what is taken to be cold logic and scientific knowledge. The apathy of youth and the coddled, neuralgic bathos of their protests are symptomatic. The deep disease is spiritual. We have been assured that there are no grand narratives when humanity is made for stories. We have been encouraged to pursue pleasure when joy is the soul's delight. We have been told love is a trick of selfish genes or manifestly sentimental twaddle pushed off by advertising and bad cinema, we have forgotten the divine springs of inspiration and turned the human vocation to participate in God's act of creation into a Gnostic contempt for nature, celebrating deviancy as freedom. My friend Brian's getting at... Um, this paradox that we are created for beauty and joy and life and love and relationship and flourishing, but we experience life as gravel in the teeth. Too often the church, those of us who claim to speak for the church, do one of two things with the sorrows of our world. We downplay or ignore their significance, cheer up, stiff upper lip, it's going to, you know, not as bad as it seems, think about this chicken soup for the soul. Or two, we offer heaven as an opiate, the promise to fly away someday where things get better. Isaiah staunchly refuses either option today in our text. Exile for Israel was real, and it sucked. <laughs> and now they're back. Back home, but home has completely been devastated. There's no temple, there's no family, there's no fields, there's wild animals. And two, the hope Isaiah offers is made up of real life possibilities. Kids, and parents, and jobs, and creation, animals. Friends, today, can you name any past suffering in your life 
that won't seem to let go? Is it still with you in some way? Some sadness, some disappointment, some longing, some yearning? Something that was taken before you were ready, something that was never given, that was promised, something for which you felt made and there's unrequited longing. Does this past suffering, does it ever surprise you or wake you up? Does it ever keep you up? Does it never really leave but sits on the periphery of your existence and awareness like a sad song of white noise that you can't not hear? Well, today, friends, today we proclaim the good news that God's presence, God with us, brings new creation out of past suffering. God is at work in our relationships, in our vocation, and in the primal antagonisms that dominate our world to bring lasting joy by His Spirit. Our text today mentions three places where God's new creation, where the new heavens and the new earth are going to spring up. And that's in uh, relationships and family, vocation, and in uh, <clears throat> animals not eating each other, which I want to say are primal antagonisms that have been overcome. Let's look at these in fold. The families in verses 19 and 20 talks about babies not dying early, old people not dying early, but people will live their days. Life won't be interrupted by untimely or unseemly suffering. Friends, one of the things that one of the things that has been robbed from us is that we've all been created for a deep sense of belonging. You've been created for relationships. Not betrayal, not abandonment, not abuse, not tolerance, not manipulation but for mutuality. You've been created for loving relationships. You have been created for forgiveness and beauty and delight. You've been created for friendships, for honor and dignity and worth. Your value isn't tied to what you can do or how much you make or how many people you can keep happy. You don't have to perform for affection. You have a heavenly Father who delights in you. We belong to God. We belong together. So that this world, very present hope for past suffering, works its way out. God with us in the midst of our relationships. The closest ones. The dearest ones. That's where God is working new creation today bringing joy by His Spirit. This is at work in my life. I've been traveling a lot the last few months, missing my family. Um, I think my wife added up, since September, I've been gone more than half of the days traveling away from home. Um, that stops for a while, and I'm really grateful for that. 
but one of the things that happened within 24 hours of me coming home uh, from my latest trip is that I found myself yelling at my wife when she was trying to help me. I haven't been able to sleep much re recently, and I was trying to share that with her, and she tried to problem solve it, and I lost my biscuit. Is that a, fairly, is that a fair digest? And I realized once again, friends, that um, I, I miss my family terribly, but, but when I get most in touch with the death and decay and destruction of this world, it is preying upon the most primary need and created good that God's given me. Can anyone relate to this? Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, my son Deacon was playing with some friends in the park, some buddies playing football, and there was a group of about six of them, and one of them wasn't uh, a kid that normally played with them, and uh, he came home early, and he was kind of distraught. Remember this, Deke? And uh, I said, what, what, what's wrong? What happened? And he said, well, uh, let's call him AJ. AJ was uh, pulling my shirt we were playing football, and I kept telling him to stop, and he, and he kept saying, I'm not doing anything wrong. And he said, AJ was making it sort of, he wasn't honoring us, wasn't listening to us, and he was making football not fun. And so they all went back to my friend Charlie's house, and I decided to come home. Now, immediately, uh, immediately for me, I wanted to do what uh, I got so mad at my wife doing. I wanted to, like, fix this problem for him, right? So I wanted to, like, walk down to Charlie's house and let AJ give him the what for her and then some. You know, or I wanted to sort of power talk my son into like not letting somebody ruin their fun, you know, give him sort of a headbutt to the soul. Yeah. Uh, but what I found myself saying, because God is present in the midst of our relationships to bring about new creation, what I found myself saying was, son, you're created for friendships, and when someone's mistreating you, it's really good for you to walk away. And the reason why that sucks, the reason why it feels bad, is because you're not created for somebody to disrespect you and dishonor you. You're created for belonging and love, for mutuality. Even in the midst, friends, of suffering in relationships, God is working today by His presence, God with us, by His Spirit, to bring new creation. Lasting, deep, abiding joy, even in the midst of places that have caused suffering. Two friends, God is working in our vocation. Verses 21 through 23 talk about jobs and fields and houses and farms and handiwork. This is, this is the second place where death and destruction and decay, where exile eats God's promises. It's in our, our significance, the authority, the power we've been given to move out into the world and bring good, lasting, sustaining, ordering good. Friends, you have been created to take responsibility in God's good creation. Do you know that? You've been gifted with the privilege to birth something necessary and beautiful in our world. You have. Your work and intelligence and passions and heart are good. You have something to offer, and if you don't offer it, we all lose. All of us. Your agency and ability to move in our world in confidence and peace 
is vital to the flourishing of God's creation. I'm sorry if no one's ever told you that. We have authority in Christ, brothers and sisters. We exist to exercise power and to empower one another. Uh, I find this, uh, this working in my own life. I, have, I think I have a dream job. I've started my own church. I've started my own business. I don't have to work for an idiot. I am the idiot. <laughs> like, my, when I tell people about my job, um, I, I, I simultaneously think, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to brag, but holy cow, this is awesome, and I get to do this every day. It's funny then, about half the time when I wake up, the last thing I want to do is work. Struggle with motivation. Feel thwarted and where my strength is. Terrified, scared to death to move out into my opportunity and gifting. When I do, somebody says, wow, that was so helpful, I don't believe them. Can anyone relate to this? Um, so I, I come, uh, when I preach, I come to church early just so I can wake the dog up and then leave the house and my family has to wake up and take care of it. <laughs> so I got here early and um, <clears throat> when I left, my wife was already up and I got a text from my wife um, around, um, well, right at, right at 8 o'clock. Um, she said this. She said, I went to check in on Cece. That's my seven-year-old daughter. After she'd been quiet in her bedroom for a while, and she had Christmas music on and was making paper snowflakes and hanging them all over her room. <laughs> and she just came down with gifts for all of us, wrapped, and a ticket to a Christmas show that she created that she's going to perform. Do you remember when you were seven? Do you remember the thing that you... Do you remember the thing that you used to do that no one told you to do that you could not do? Do you remember producing and creating and enjoying as a simple expression of being alive? Do you remember that? Can we just speak to that tender place right now? That precious tender place for you? We love you and we need you to honor that little one to come out. Come out wherever you are. We need your music and your snowflakes. We need your presence and your Christmas show and the tickets to the Christmas show. And we need it all by 8 a.m., not because it's on a list, but just because you can't help yourself. We need that. You need that. And God delights in that. I'm sorry if no one's ever told you that before. Today, God's presence, God with us, Jesus Christ, births new creation out of your past suffering. God is at work in our relationships and in our vocation, in what we have to birth, our authority, the representation of being made in the image of God, the thing that demonstrates and declares to all the cosmos the supreme love and power of the triune God.
God's at work right there to bring your lasting joy and His lasting joy by His Spirit. Finally, new creation comes in these primal antagonisms we see, wolves and lambs, right? Lions eating straw. Snakes eating dust. Snakes eating dust is an entire sermon, friends. I can't go there. (laughs) If I try to talk about that, it'll be a 40-minute sermon. Friends, uh, new creation is redeeming and restoring the things we've been creating for, belonging, family relationships, significance, our job, our house, our farms, and now overcoming the fear of living in a violent, antagonistic world, our safety and security. Friends, you don't have to live in a perpetual state of fear. Violence and attacks will not have the last word in your life. The attacks made on you and the memory of those attacks, it's wrong and it's awful. And God sees it. And he's making a new heavens and a new earth right there. You don't have to maintain enemies. There's enough to go around. The lie that there isn't enough, that there's scarcity, and that there has to be someone to scapegoat, it's from the pit of hell. You no longer have to attack and win to secure your own safety. Scarcity and scapegoating may run our economy, it may run our politics, and it may run the entertainment industry, but they have no dominion here, beloved. We are no longer held together by fear, dear church. We can build community centered on abundance and generosity, dear church. I almost hesitate to give an illustration of this, because any time you talk about antagonisms in our world, you mention them and you create them in the people you're talking to. So I decided to go with the most, um, the most like, I'm not even going to make a joke about it. Colin Kaepernick, yesterday, uh, <laughs> he, he has been locked out of the NFL for three years. Can't get a job interview. The NFL called him last week and said, hey, we'd like to schedule you a throwing session with some NFL teams. He was like, great, I've been waiting for this call. But then some things started happening with the NFL that made Colin Kaepernick suspicious. He had to sign a waiver that if he didn't get hired, he would never sue them again. And he couldn't, uh, he couldn't know the teams that were coming. He couldn't know who he was going to be throwing to beforehand. It's just really kind of weird, like it was all secret. And so Colin Kaepernick started to get suspicious. He started asking more questions, and there was fewer and fewer answers. And so then he decided, you know what? Forget this. I'm not doing this. I'm going to host your... So like some teams came in town, like I think 12 teams came in town to watch him throw in Atlanta. And he said, I'm going to go throw at this high school over here. This is my thing. All you teams can come, but I'm going to open it up to the media. That was another thing. NFL didn't want any media there. No other cameras, no transparency, no outside verification of how well he threw or didn't throw. Colin was like, no, there's going to be, it's going to be, I'm, I'm, everybody's going to know how well I did or bad I did. It's not going to be the NFL spinning this. So he threw, and you know, he did an average job. He's an average quarterback. <laughs> Good enough to be a backup probably somewhere. 
But there's a little video clip of Colin Kaepernick uh, on the interwebs. And he's just giving an impromptu sort of thank you for coming. He thanks all the media people and the six teams that did show up come. And he says, we are waiting for the 32 teams, 32 owners, Roger Goodell to stop running. Stop running from the truth. Stop running from the people. I will interview with any team at any time. Balls in their court. We are ready to go. We live in a world, friends, where if you refuse to pay child support, if you decide you want to punch a woman, if you decide you want to sexually assault a woman, you have to sit out a few games. You have to lose a paycheck. But you can play in the NFL. But if, at the suggestion of a military veteran, you decide to protest police brutality by kneeling during the paid sponsorship of the singing of the national anthem. Did you know it was paid? Did you know the military pays the NFL millions of dollars a year to do that? If you decide to kneel during that to protest police, you can't work for three years. Now, bringing this up probably brings to the surface antagonisms we have in this room, yeah? It's one of a million things in our world that create scarcity, fear, anger, violence. Let's take down Goodell. Let's take down Kaepernick. But friends, what we need is uh, this new creation in the midst of these primal antagonisms. The NFL eating Colin. Nike capitalizing on Colin Kaepernick. Colin participating with that so he can make a living but also make a statement and how complicated all of that is. What it looks like for new creation to well up in these primal antagonisms is for people to stand in a non-anxious, principled standing with not fear of what to lose, no fear of losing millions or losing viewers or, or losing the sp sponsorship, just living in the security of I have enough, you can do what you want. For me, as I watched Colin say, 32 teams you can call, 32 Goodell you can call, balls in your court. I just saw somebody who has nothing to lose. He, couldn't, he could never work in the NFL again. He'll be fine. Today, friends, God's presence, God with us. It births new creation in our past suffering. God is at work in our relationships. God is at work in our vocation. He's at work in these primal antagonisms that drive our economy, our politics, our entertainment to bring lasting joy by His Spirit. So friends, where do you need new creation today? Where do you need hope and new life in your belonging, significance, and safety and security? Where do you need that today? We're going to respond to this good news using this prayer response in our booklet. So I ask where, friends, are you in touch with your need today? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.